Jonah and the fish, Jonah and the whale, it's such a familiar story, isn't it? How many of us have had that picture book with the beaming cartoon whale on the front cover in vibrant colours? How many of our own children have got something similar? How many of the frieze around the bedroom with the cartoon prophet, with the waves and the fish, ending with that final scene, the grumpy man with the hangdog expression sitting outside the desert city. It's such a familiar story, but let's not let that familiarity stop us from looking again at this short book and seeing if God has something important to say to us in our own personal situations, here in the UK, in Chesterfield, today, in the 21st century. And as we turn back to those two chapters that we read earlier, I think the first thing we need to note is that Jonah was a prophet called by God to speak his word in a specific situation. In a specific situation, at a specific time, and in a specific place. Have a look at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. The word of the Lord has come to Jonah. The word of the Lord came. It's a common phrase in the Old Testament to indicate God's call to a prophet. It underlines the divine element in this man's ministry. But as we read on, we find that the rest of this book is far from common. It's quite unlike any other prophetic literature that we read in the Old Testament. You know, John is one of the 12 minor prophets. But the book of Jonah is so different from the other 11. Rather than a series of oracles, it is an extended narrative passage. It describes one episode in this prophet's life and ministry. Uniquely, the book of Jonah describes explicitly the prophet's dramatic success. It describes the success of Jonah's mission to Nineveh. And that success echoes the success of his own ministry in Israel. And that's described in the book of 2 Kings. And if you can flick over the pages, you might want to turn to 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 to 25. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. And he reigned for 41 years. He did evil 
in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. You see, Jonah was a prophet called by God to speak his word into a specific situation at a specific time in a specific place. And these verses help us understand better that time and that place. Jonah ministered to the northern kingdom. And he ministered during the reign of Jeroboam II. And that is between about the mid-780s and about 740 BC. And Jeroboam, at heart, was an evil king. But during his reign, there was a lot of success for Israel. Israel extended its boundaries. And that was, at least in part, because of the ministry of this prophet, Jonah. So Jonah seemed to be a very successful prophet. He was successful in Nineveh. He was successful influencing the king in Israel. However, Jonah wasn't the only prophet in, northern, in the northern kingdom at that time. The prophet Amos spoke a message, but not a message of prosperity or success, a message of judgment. Amos prophesied against Israel, predicting a time when her capital Samaria would be under siege and eventually destroyed. You see, although Jeroboam had succeeded in pushing back the border with Assyria, history tells us that it would be Israel's long-standing enemy that finally conquered the northern kingdom. Now we see where our passage fits in. Jonah was a prophet called by God to speak his word into a specific situation at a specific time, a specific place. And that place was Nineveh. Nineveh, one of the largest, most powerful cities in Assyria. Israel's long-term enemy. Do you see the irony with Amos? As we read later in the book, Jonah was to call them to repent. See, God was opening the door to Israel's enemy. He was opening the door to the Gentiles through his prophet Jonah. And that, that was truly shocking. Absolutely shocking. You know, 2,800 years later, God still calls his speak people to speak his message into a hostile world. Into a hostile world. Each of us is called to be God's witness. 
God's witness today, our time. In our town, our situation. Into our workplace, into our home. And Walton Evangelical Church is called to proclaim God's word into this community. Now, some of us are going to find that easy, and some of us will find that shocking. Some of us will find that hard and will want to flee from the challenge. And that's why we need to take heed of the next lesson from our study in Jonah. You see, we must learn to fear God, not the world. Jonah had been called. We've been called, but how we respond to that call depends on what we fear most. Jonah, as we turn back to our passage, responded in totally the long way. Totally the wrong way. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. But Jonah goes in the exact opposite direction. Nineveh, you see, lies to the east, but Jonah flees to the west, first to the coast, and then by ship to Tarshish, which is probably the southern tip of Spain. You know, Jonah was fleeing to the very edge of the known world, as far away as he could get from Nineveh in the east. You see, Jonah is clearly afraid. And as we read on, we will see fear is a theme that runs through chapter 1 of this book. I'm sure you're all very familiar with the story. And so I won't go through verse by verse. Rather, I want us to see how two very different types of fear led to two very different types of response. I want to look at the response of Jonah and I want us to see the response of the sailors. Now, my guess is that most people, when they're asked, who was Jonah afraid of? They're going to answer God. Jonah fled from the presence of God. Jonah fled from his calling. Jonah fled in the opposite direction. Surely this tells us that Jonah was afraid Jonah feared God. Well, indeed, Jonah describes himself as fearing God in verse 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, I'm quoting there from the ESV, the English Standard Version, because it gives a more literal translation of the Hebrew. And the NIV renders that verse, and I worship the Lord. And that tells us something of what it means to fear God. 
What it means to fear the Lord, that key biblical doctrine. You see, was Jonah really fearing the Lord? Was he really worshipping God when he fled to Tarshish? Yes, Jonah was afraid for sure. But I don't think he had yet come to fear the Lord. No, Jonah feared the things of this world. Perhaps he feared his own people if he took God's word to their enemy. Perhaps he feared the Ninevites if he took God's word into an enemy city so big that it required three days to visit it. Perhaps he feared most of all the consequences of his own success. You know, he tells us later in the book that he dreaded, he dreaded the idea that God might reach out in grace to that city. He dreaded that God might reach out in grace to the Gentiles. Jonah fled because he did not want the Ninevites to repent. You see, Jonah had no respect or fear of God because he placed his own feelings, his own agenda above that of the God that called him. Notice also how Jonah responds to the storm that God hurls upon the ship. Look at verse 5. Then the, the mariners, the sailors, were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Jonah was fast asleep down in the hold. There was no fear of God here. There was simply a resignation to God's judgments. See how he responds in verse 12. He said to them, he said to the sailors, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will be quiet for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. <clears throat> Jonah's initial response to God's call had been to flee in fear of the world. His response to God's pursuit was a stoical resignation to his fate. You see, fear of the world had driven Jonah far, far from God. So what about the sailors? What about the sailors? What did the sailors fear? In stark contrast to Jonah asleep in the hold, the sailors were in great fear of the storm. Well, we've seen a lot, haven't we, on TV, in the news in the last two or three weeks about 
violent winds. We've seen the power of Hurricane Harvey in in Houston. We've seen the power of Hurricane Irma moving up the Caribbean. We've heard of another hurricane coming, and everybody can see the damage, the lives lost, the property lost. So great storms, great winds are something to be afraid of. But remember, these were seasoned sailors, and they'd experienced many winds, many storms on the Mediterranean Sea. They knew what to expect, but they saw that this one was different. This storm was bigger. This storm was more serious. And they tried every practical scheme to save the ship. They'd even gone, as we read a moment ago, to abandon, gone to the point of abandoning all of their cargo, throwing it over the sea, as the, over the side, into the sea, as a last throw of the dice. And with every human power exhausted, they threw themselves on superstition, on the mercy of their gods. You see, these sailors were in dread fear of this storm. But that fear was nothing compared to the fear they felt when Jonah was hauled up by the captain, down, up from the hold down below, and onto the deck with the sailors. Explain yourself, Jonah. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. And how did the sailors respond? Then the men were exceedingly, exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. You know, something dawned on these sailors at this point in the story. They realized that there was something, someone to be feared who was far bigger than this storm. This storm was different to any they'd experienced before because it was an instrument of divine judgment. Suddenly, they weren't just afraid, they were exceedingly afraid. Jonah, we know, now told them how to throw him, how to get rid of it, how to deal with the problem, to throw him overboard. And at first, they tried to avoid doing so. They had tried to avoid sacrificing Jonah, renewing their efforts to row against the wind. But in the face of that unrelenting storm, they finally acquiesced to Jonah's demands. And the change in the sea was startling. That storm calmed and the sea was quiet. But what was more startling? What was more startling was the change in the sailors. And we see it first in verse 14 as they prepare to throw Jonah over the side. They called out to their own gods? No. They called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. 
They had been bowing and praying to their own gods, but now see who they cried out to. They were crying out to the Lord. More amazingly still, see what happened when they reached the safety of land, verse 16. The men feared the Lord. Feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. We don't know whether these pagans had genuinely converted. But it's clear that their realization that the Lord was in control of this terrible tempest, their fear of him had drawn them towards him. So do you see the effect of fear? Worldly fear has driven Jonah far from God. But worldly fear will always drive us away from God. Fear of the Lord, fear of his awesome majesty, fear of his power to intervene, fear even in the lives of people has drawn the sailors towards him. Fear of the Lord will always draw us closer to him. So we throw ourselves on his mercy for comfort, for security, for safety. You see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To fear God and to keep his commandments is the whole duty of man. What do you fear when you hear God's call on your life? Are you driven away from him by fear of the world, by fear of what others might say, by fear of getting it wrong, by fear of stumbling in some way? Or do you run to him? Whatever our ministry is, we must learn to fear the Lord to be effective. If one of the themes of chapter 1 is fear, then the key theme of chapter 2 is regeneration. At the end of chapter 1, Jonah was clearly resigned to a watery grave. I don't think he was expecting what happened next. The continuing narrative is brief, jumping from chapter 1, verse 17, to chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, as we read about the fish, we need to be careful of the, can I really say this, red herrings? You see, there are trite questions which will easily distract us. What kind of a fish was this? Uh, was it a fish or was it, as the children's books tell us, a whale? Can a man really survive for three days in the belly of a fish. Now those questions, they distract us from the central point and we risk reducing the story to something that's a freak coincidence or a mere allegory. You see, the point is that this 
wasn't a coincidence. This was a miraculous intervention. Just as the storm was no ordinary storm, but a miraculous storm hurled by God upon the ocean. This was no ordinary fish. This was a miraculous fish. This was a miracle to demonstrate God's ability and God's willingness, his readiness to save. And we see this in the prayer. That wonderful psalm that Jonah cries within the belly of the fish. And that forms most of chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. And that's a key verse that sets the context for the psalm. This is a psalm of praise and thanksgiving as Jonah in the belly of the fish rejoices at his salvation from the belly of Sheol. His rescue from the depths of the grave, as the NIV puts it. It's a psalm in which he recalls his cry for help in his distress as the waters closed around him. This is a psalm in which he celebrates his restoration to life as God answers his cry and sends the fish. Notice how he sees the Lord's hand in his situation. Look at verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me all of your waves, and your billows passed over me. Jonah acknowledges that it wasn't simply the sailors who had thrown him into the sea. He sees that it was God's waves that engulfed him. This was part of God's judgments. And we see that also in the way that Jonah describes his separation from God and his separation from the heart of of Israel's relationship with God, the temple. Verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your temple. And notice how Jonah describes his descent into the very depths of the sea, right down to the roots of the mountains. Verse 5. The waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. Isn't that such a graphic picture of drowning? This is a nightmare. I only have to close my eyes to imagine the scene. And I can feel the touch of those weeds as they close around my legs my arms and my head as they drag me down. This is the point from which Jonah cried for help. This is the very lowest point, the very belly of Sheol, the very depths of the grave. He could get no lower. And yet, as the 
psalmist realised there was no depth where you could escape the reach of God. And it's here, it's here with Jonah's cry for help answered that the psalm becomes a hymn of thanks. A hymn of thanks for God's saving grace. A hymn of praise for his life restored. A celebration of regeneration. Read on in verse 6. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought my, my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah chapter 1 has shown us how fear of the world will drive us away from God. Whereas fear of God will draw us to him. Jonah chapter 2 has reminded us of God's power to save. Not simply from the fiercest storm, but from the depths of the grave. More than that, to save us from his judgment. This is a vivid demonstration of new life, and as such it points us forward to another more significant, far more significant point in history. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, we read. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, that's Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The parallels are unmistakable, aren't they? Two men condemned. One cast out of the boat by God to plumb the depths of Sheol. The other dying under a curse upon the cross. Two men entombed for three days, the one in the belly of a fish, the other in Joseph's tomb. Two men restored to life, the one thrown up on the shore, the other raised in power from the tomb. You know, the parallels are unmistakable. But we mustn't let that lead us to read too much into Jonah. 
We remember that Jonah's story is just a sign pointing us to the true Messiah. After all, he was a sinful, broken man on the run from God. Yes, he was restored to life and he went on to proclaim God's word to Nineveh. But he was a flawed prophet who refused to accept God's plans for the Gentiles. And Jonah would one day die and be buried rather than exalted to the Father's side. So let's just heed where the sign points. Because that is all important for us. Jonah points to Jesus Christ dying on a cross to pay the penalty of our sin and rising again to give us the promise, the hope of new life in him. Jonah points to our hope that if we too repent and put our trust in Christ, then Gentiles like us will rise up on the day of judgment with the men of Nineveh. This has been a, a swift canter through the opening two chapters of Jonah. So let's take a minute or so just to reflect on what this book means to us. We, like Jonah, are called. And like Jonah, we might like, like Jonah, we might not like what we are called to do. But how are we going to respond? What situation is God calling you to speak his words into? At home, at work, in your extended family, in church. Pray for those people and pray that you will know what they need to hear from God. Draw near to him. Fear him. Call on him for help in those situations. Where is your Nineveh? Are you ready to go? Are you ready to go? Or are you running in the opposite direction? Perhaps you need to turn around. And what is it that you fear? Is that fear driving you away from God? Or is it driving you, calling you, drawing you into his arms? Pray for a right fear of God that we may trust in him rather than dread the world. Jonah is a message of regeneration that points us to the hope we have in Christ. Are you trusting in him? Are you trusting in him or in your own efforts for your salvation? Have you cried out to him to save you?